morning, everybody. My name is Tim Porter, one of the pastors here for Faith Community Church, and it is good to be together uh, on this day. One of my favorite days of the year when we get to celebrate baptisms together, and so if you're here because of that, uh, so glad to have you join with us this morning. And uh, online, make sure, or thanks for joining us, but also make sure that you stay through the sermon uh, so that you can participate in watching the baptisms as well. We'll say more about that in just a little bit. I want to start out today by asking a question of you, just a reflective question. The reflective question is this. We all have, right now, as we're looking into our week, we all have something, some activities, something that is urgently weighing on our minds and hearts. You don't have to say out loud what it is, but what is it for you? As you look into this coming week, What do you feel is absolutely critical? You've got to get this done this week. You've got to accomplish this. Maybe with a snowstorm coming, it's getting groceries (laughs) or getting gas for your snow thrower, which I still have to do. Maybe it's a presentation at work. Maybe it's a critical interview that you have for a new job. What is it for you? As you look into this week, you have to, you must get this thing done or accomplished? What is it? Now what I wanna ask you to do today, based on the passage that we're gonna walk through today, is whatever it is that you have that you feel is really urgent, and we all have it, we all have them going into this next week, I wanna ask you to take meaningful engagement with the Bible this week in some form, reading in the morning, at night, listening on your way to work, some form of meaningful engagement with the Bible and make that toward the top of your urgency list. Not just this coming week, but any day. So I'm gonna ask you to do, that's the application today. And today, from our passage, I'm gonna give you three reasons why. Three reasons why to do that. First is because of the uniqueness of the Bible. Second is because of the message of the Bible. And the third is because of the promise, the promise of the Bible. We're in this series we're calling Words to Live By. And what we're seeking to do is as a church and as a people to be inspired by the gospel, by the words of God in all of our lives so that we look at the Bible and we read it and we, or we hear it and we say, I want my life to look more like that. That's what we're about in this series. Again, today, the uniqueness of the Bible, the message of the Bible, the promise of the Bible. Now, Dick just read for us from 1 Corinthians 2, and I need to set up a little of the context of this letter. We preached through this letter. Uh, Tim and I preached through this letter back in 2021. You can go to our website, fcchudson.com, and you can uh, download the sermons. You can listen to them there about the whole series to uh, 1 Corinthians. But a little background. Paul was the, the guy who planted the church in Corinth. And he loved the church in Corinth. He spent like three years there and then he went on to other churches to, uh, or other regions to plant other churches. And as he's out and about and traveling, he gets word from somebody named Chloe who's a part of the Corinthian church saying, things are a mess. 
And so Paul writes this letter to try to bring the, the Corinthian church, these followers of Jesus, back to the gospel and live out the gospel. Now in the city of Corinth, there was a high emphasis a high emphasis and a high celebration for what Paul in this passage calls wisdom. There were these wisdom teachers who were extremely eloquent and could hold an auditorium. Think for a moment about like modern day, like Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson, I've been told, can hold a room for an hour of 9,000 people. That's an amazing skill. People pay a lot of money to go hear Jordan Peterson speak. And then he gets all kinds of autographs, does all kinds of autographs. It's a, it's a bit of a celebrity kind of movement about somebody who speaks wisdom eloquently. That was all over the place in Corinth. All over the place in Corinth. And the, the church in Corinth was some of the people that were looking at the pastors that were in for the church and also the traveling pastors that were coming in and going... Yeah, we really want you to sound like Jordan Peterson. He's really good. And the ones that sounded a little bit more like the wisdom teachers, they're like, yeah, that's a really good speaker. He must, he must really know God. Paul was not a very good public speaker, the guy who wrote the letter and who planted the church. And so they're looking at Paul going, I don't know if you really have the wisdom of God. Not only that, they were trying to like blend together the kind of wisdom that these wisdom speakers were teaching, try to blend that together with the good news of Jesus. And Paul writes a section, this letter, to say, no, no. Don't worry about trying to sound like the wisdom teachers and don't try to blend what they're saying with the gospel because of the uniqueness of the gospel, the uniqueness of the Bible, the, the uniqueness and the message of the Bible, that's what he's going to tell them. He's bringing them back to the goodness, the goodness of God. So first, the uniqueness of the Bible. Paul makes this interesting statement in verse 11. It's on the screens above. In verse 11, he says this. For who knows a person's thoughts? Who knows a person's thoughts? except the spirit of that person which is in him. Let's personalize this a little bit more. Who knows your thoughts? Who knows your thoughts? Now, I'm an introvert, and many people, when they hear that, hear that I'm an introvert, like, what? You speak in front of all kinds of people. Introvert does not mean I can't be social, that I don't know how to talk to people in public or anything like that. It just means when I'm an introvert, it means I get my energy for the day by being alone and living in my thoughts. What I love to do in between services is go find a cubbyhole someplace where nobody knows is there and I just sit there and think and get my energy so I can come back up and be in front of public again. Okay? Now I'm an introvert. And so I love to think, and I love to be quiet, and I've got this active mental world. My wife is an introvert as well. And so we have these wonderful conversations sitting in silence, <laughs> driving over miles in our van together with maybe a little background music and, uh, going on, but we're just like, oh, this is so refreshing. We're just together in each other's presence, and nobody has to say a word. 
Now, the downside about being an introvert, especially an introvert, especially when I'm under stress or I'm trying to solve a problem or figure something out or there's some, some issue that I'm dealing with, is that I can go in my head and I can stay in my head. And my wife has to come alongside me and say, where are you? What's going on? And I have to articulate, this is what I'm thinking about, this is what I'm wrestling with, this is what's going on. She goes, okay, good, I just thought you were angry at me. And I do the same thing with her. She could be very quiet and she's focused on something. Is everything okay between us? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just really tired. Okay, okay. Now, it's not just introverts that have this. Haven't you, at some point in time, had somebody, had an issue with somebody? And they tell you, oh, this was my intention. This is what I was about. This was my motivation. Like, oh, I just thought you were being rude or whatever it might be. And it's all cleared up because someone just disclosed to you their thoughts, their motivations their heart. Now, why does Paul bring all this up? We don't tend to think this way about God, but we have these limitations in our relationships with one another in that you don't know what I'm thinking right now. You can guess. I don't know what you're thinking right now, other than this is the best term you've ever heard about the Bible. I don't know what you're thinking right now unless you tell me. And it's the same with God. And we don't tend to think about God that way. We tend to think that, oh, God's there. We should be able to figure him out. We should be able to find him and discover him. And what Paul is saying is like, no, just like with human beings, if you as a human being don't tell somebody else what your motives are, what your heart is like, or what you're thinking, they don't understand. You can try to guess, but we're going to get the interpretation wrong a lot of the time. Same with God. God has to speak. He has to speak. Now, there's a guy, many of you maybe have heard of him. His name was Bertrand Russell. He was a mathematician, philosopher. He called himself like an agnostic atheist, like he just didn't know. British. And one day somebody asked him, Mr. Russell, Dr. Russell, say you die as an agnostic atheist and you discover the moment that you die that there is a God and you are wrong the whole time. What would you say? He said this. Don't blame me, God. You didn't give me enough evidence. How sad. See, there's this assumption there that we should be able to figure God out on our own terms. We set up the categories of what the evidence should be, and God, you have to prove yourself to us. Now, God has reflected himself in creation. He's reflected himself in creation. He's made us in his image. He's made the world to disclose some true things about who he is. But if God doesn't speak, all we are left with is trying to interpret the evidence. And there's limits to it. And what Paul is trying to say in this passage and what the Bible is trying to articulate about itself is that God is a speaking God and he does speak and he speaks uniquely, uniquely through the Bible in a way that you can't know God without knowing the Bible. This is one of the reasons why we need to be compelled by our mission as a church to make more and better disciples of Jesus. 
The only way people can really come to know who God is is by interacting with the Bible, the words that God has given us to live by. It's utterly unique. The Bible is unique in that it is the message of God. So Paul says this in verses 7 and 8. It says, we, and here in this we, he's talking He's talking about the first followers of Jesus, the apostles. The we here is this apostolic crew, the first eyewitnesses of Jesus. We impart a secret, a hidden wisdom of God. Only the Spirit knows it. Only God knows it. Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what Paul's doing here in this section, he's doing a few things, but he's mentioning like, look, Who crucified Jesus? There were two key individuals who crucified Jesus. They colluded together to crucify Jesus. Caiaphas, who was the high priest, and Pilate. They colluded to crucify Jesus. And Paul says, you don't get to those positions of authority by being a knucklehead. You've got wisdom if you're, if, you're a high, if you're a high priest and if you are a pilot. You've got wisdom. You know your way around things. And they couldn't understand what God was doing. If they did, they would have never put Jesus to the cross. Who in the world would have ever thought that God would become a human being and die? For us. So when Paul says the we, we impart to you something that's hidden and secret, but it's now revealed. He's saying, we as the first followers of Jesus, the eyewitnesses, the apostles, we know something about Jesus because he disclosed it to us. And we're now passing it on to you. We're now passing it on to you because God has spoken chiefly in his son, Jesus. And the only way we know anything about Jesus is because of written documents passed down from generation to generation until the day that Jesus returns. This is exactly what Jesus told the first followers. You can look at this another time, but this is John 16, 12. He says to his first disciples, he tells them, look guys, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will speak, not on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, and he will declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's what the first apostles were doing. They're learning Jesus. They're learning, how does Jesus View the Old Testament. I love what Tim Prince said last week. It was beautiful. We care about the Old Testament because Jesus cared about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is authoritative for us because it was authoritative to Jesus. We care about the Gospels. We care about the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. We care about those because those record what Jesus thought what Jesus said, the actions that he performed, his, what he said about his heart. I am gentle and lowly of heart. Care about the Gospels because of that. Then we care about the letters that all the first followers wrote. Why? Because they're applying everything that they learned about Jesus through his teaching and the Old Testament filtered through him and applying it to new context through letters. 
the whole Bible, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation hangs together because Jesus says it all hangs together in him. And we can't get God's heart in any other place fully as much as, Jesus, as much as God wants to disclose it in any other place than in the Bible. No other place. It all hangs together. This is why, no matter what's urgent on your calendar and on your mind and on your heart for this coming week, even this day, make personal, meaningful, Bible engagement at the top of the priority list. Because it's only there where we can hear the heartbeat of God. What's he really like? That's cool background music, thank you. (laughs) Dramatic pause. That's the uniqueness of the Bible. There's a message of the Bible that means that we need to elevate engagement with the Bible to great priority for our lives because of the message of the Bible. This is what Paul says about the message that's contained in the words that we are given to live by. He says in verse 9, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has ever imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This is a loose paraphrase of Isaiah 64 talking about the goodness of God and the limits of our imagination to think up ways in which God could be so good to us. We are absolutely, as human beings, absolutely limited in what we can imagine about the goodness of God. If we try to think of God in our own categories, we're going to make him like ourselves, and we could try to make him as good as any human being could ever be, and we still fall absolutely short. Our imaginations are not fueled naturally to imagine a God as good as the God of the Bible. This is the good news of the Bible. That God wants to be in relationship with us and he's done everything that he has to do to get into relationship with us. He's for our glory. That we would be not just restored to a relationship like Adam and Eve had in the garden with him before they fell, but actually escalated escalated when Jesus returns. That's where God is bringing all of us. He's going someplace. Think about the wisdom of God for a second. Say you are with God the day that Adam and Eve, the day that Adam and Eve rebel against the goodness of God. And you're with God in this circumstance going, okay, there's a problem here. God, how are you going to write this? Who would ever have the goodness, the creativity, the imagination to say to God, God, this is what I think you should do. I think you should send your son, since you're one God, but there's three of you. Send your son, and he can be born in a backwards town, nobody cares about, utter obscurity, And he comes and he lives a perfect life. And then he's killed as an innocent man. 
as if he were one of the worst criminals around in the first century. And in that very moment, when he's dying, and he's feeling forsaken by you, Father, you're reconciling the world to yourself. And you're not just going to let him stay there. He's going to come to life three days later. And he promises to make everything new. That just, has, just as you created everything and then everything got tarnished by the rebellion, you're going to remake the whole thing. Who of us would have the imagination and the goodness to give that plan to God? And that is his heartbeat. It's amazing. Sometimes I am um, just, I just stand back at my life and I just sort of laugh at the things that happened to me. Friday, a friend of mine named Paul introduced me to his friend. We'll call him Peter because it sounds like a pastor joke. Paul, Peter, and Timothy, we're having a conversation, right? No. <laughs> Peter's not his real name. But Paul introduced me to this guy named Peter who he's known for some time. And within, so Peter's like, oh, you're a pastor, right? Usually, when someone finds out that I'm a pastor, it shuts down the conversation. It's a little awkward at times, so I don't get my hair cut, right? Hey, well, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. They're like replaying all the words that they said the last five minutes. Did I say something wrong? You know, it's like, but this guy didn't do that. Peter didn't do that. He's like, so you're a pastor, right? Yep, yep. Because I don't mean to offend you. But, you know, I've been around churches for a while. I've been a part of churches for a while. Are you one of those guys that believes that the Bible is the inerrant word of God? I'm like, well, I want to hear more about like what you mean by that. But yes, I am. I think that's crazy. Thankfully, I didn't try to defend myself at that point. I asked the question, so tell me why. And he went on and he talked about why he thinks that's crazy, about this passage and this passage. How do you interpret this? How do you interpret that? How do you interpret those things? started to realize it's not about, this isn't about the inerrant word of God, which just simply means that whatever God, the Bible teaches, it teaches what is true. This isn't about the inerrancy of Scripture. This is about how do you interpret Scripture and apply it to our lives. Anyway, we kept talking. In the midst of the conversation, I wish I had a video camera for this. He started to pause. Or no, he asked me this. He said, what's, if you could like, say, what's the theme of the New Testament? What is the theme of the New Testament? I said, the grace of God shown in Jesus. He's like, grace. He said, there was one day when I was reading a book about God's grace. He started to choke up. He said, if this is true, if God's grace is true, it changes everything. He said, exactly. And the only way that you and I can know about the grace of God that's revealed in Jesus is through a book that you have on your phone that you might have multiple copies about at home. And it's the key message that we need to be told over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because we in our imagination cannot imagine just how good God is. He has to tell us over and over 
again. This is why at Faith Community, we want the Bible everywhere. We talk about how we want everyone to experience a gospel-inspired life, all of us to experience a gospel-inspired life. The only way that we know about a gospel-inspired life is by the Bible, because the Bible contains the good news of God's grace in Jesus. So a focus of our worship time is to look at the Bible. Faith Kids is about the Bible. One is about the Bible. Christianity Explored is about going through the Gospel of Mark together, the Bible. Later on in the month of May this year, we're going to bring in a group called Walk Through the Bible where the youngest of us and the oldest of us, whatever the extremes are, we can all learn the message of the, of the Old Testament together in three hours in a memorable way to capture God's heart. Now, the Bible's a complex book. So one of the reasons why we have a course here called Grasping God's Word is that it's a complex book. Recommend signing up for that course. Do so on our website. It's just helping us understand the complexity so that we can hear the simplicity of the message of the Bible, of a God who has imagined and done everything that we need to experience his glory. That's what Paul says. It's the message. The promise. Paul says this in verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God's, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Now, if you look at the commentators on this passage, um, we have to do some kind of interpreting of what's the, who's the we in this passage? Who's the we? Paul says, we impart these things that we heard to you. He, he, ends the, he, he ends the section that we're looking at today by talking about how we interpret spiritual things to spiritual people. And so most of the time in this passage, the we isn't we all Christians. It's we, the apostles, the first eyewitness of Jesus. We have this information, and we're trying to tell you about it. Except for verse 12, I think. There's some debate about this. But verse 12, Paul says, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, and I think here he's talking about all Christians, all Christians. We've not received the spirit of the world. Instead, we've actually received the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. As a follower of Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, has taken up residence in the very depths of the core of your being. Who are you at your core? Isn't your past? Isn't your future? Isn't your mistakes? Isn't your triumphs? Who you are at your core is the dwelling place of the living God. Amen. That's amazing. That's a whole other sermon series. But that's who we are at our core. And if you're investigating Jesus and the Bible's becoming a little bit more alive to you, what you need to know is that that's the Spirit of God drawing you, drawing you to Jesus. And Paul says, we have that spirit in us. Every follower of Jesus has that spirit of God, has the spirit of God in us so that we can understand, so that we can understand the things freely given to us by God. What does he mean by that? It means to understand the things that God has freely given to us, 
doesn't mean that we simply can intellectually say, oh yeah, I, I understand that Jesus was a, a first century Jewish man who uh, lived and was poor and was a prophet and he died on the cross and some people say that he rose from the, rose from the dead. Yeah, I understand that. That's, it's not, when Paul says understand, it's not the intellectual, it's not the intellectual side that he's concerned about. Like, you can't understand that without the Spirit. Anybody who's four years old and has somebody who's describing it to them can understand it. Understanding has to do with, do you find that beautiful? Do you find that personal? God did that for me. And if he did that for me, I want my life to look like anything that he secured for me to look like. Do you find it beautiful? Do you look at what God did for you and say, that's amazing. Thank you. Change me. Help me to look like Jesus. Whatever this passage says for me to do, God, even if it's hard, give me the grace and the strength. Spirit, give me the power to do it because you're beautiful. Understanding isn't simply thinking. There's an affection of our heart. There's a desire of our heart that changes. Here at Faith Community, we've got a value, a church value that we describe this way. It's called inspired to transformation. We as a church are motivated by the voice of God that speaks in a personal way to us through scripture, prayer, the encouragement and the challenge of other believers who are applying the scriptures to us. And we believe that true transformation begins with being inspired and having a new affection that's stirred in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's speaking to our present circumstances through his word, wherever we are. Now this can happen, that's the promise, that the more we know the Bible, and the more we seek to understand the Bible, the Holy Spirit takes that and starts to make us understand it. We find him and it beautiful. And this can happen in a variety of ways. It happened in a sermon. It can happen when you're listening to the radio and a Bible verse comes on. It's like, oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. It can happen in, while you're going through the conversation guide that's on our app about the sermons, when you're in a missional community, when you're alone with your own Bible reading. And sometimes, just so you know, it doesn't happen all the time. You know, I, I read my Bible almost every day, and sometimes I'm like, oh, God, you're just speaking. This is exactly what I needed to hear, and you're changing me, and I need to do this and adjust my life in that kind of ways. There's other times it's like, I don't know what to do with this one. I just don't know what to do. I trust that you authored it, and it has real meaning. I just don't know what it is right now, and I'm, I'm missing it. Please help me to understand. Please help me to find it beautiful can happen when another friend or follower of Jesus says scripture to you. It's like, thank you. That's exactly what I needed. And just because it, you might be reading the Bible in a day, it's like, I don't really, I'm not like feeling any kind of application here. Like, I don't know what this looks like. Sometimes if you've read the Bible long enough 
and you've worked at it long enough, it's there in your head, and the Spirit will take that and apply it, and you, it was like, it's out of nowhere. This week, this week I was uh, getting ready for the day, and I was wrestling through some things, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, I'm doing my Bible reading in Ephesians, okay? Out of nowhere, this verse comes into my head from Paul in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, to the Jew, I became like a Jew that I might win the Jews. To the Gentiles, I became like a Gentile that I might win the Gentiles. I've become all things to all people by all means that I might save some. And right there, as I'm getting ready, brushing and blow-drying my beard. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) I think the Spirit asked me this question, Tim, are you willing to do all things for all people? that some, by all means, that some might be saved. I think so, God. I think so. I had that conversation, getting ready in the morning. The Bible, God's Spirit loves to take what he authored through all kinds of people, through all kinds of centuries, different languages, different cultural contexts and cities, and take all of that and apply it to you and me here in St. Croix County. Because he authored that, and he's in you and me, and he's committed to helping us look like Jesus, who is so beautiful. Today we're going to, well, before I do that, application. Whatever is pressing on you right now, whatever you find absolutely urgent that you need to do this week, work into your priority list meaningful engagement with the Bible. It's necessary. The message is unique. And God promises to apply it to your life. Now we're gonna celebrate baptisms today and I'm overjoyed that we are celebrating baptisms today while we're also talking about this passage from Paul because in one sense what baptism illustrates is what Paul's trying to get at at this, in this passage. Everyone who's going into the tank to be baptized in Jesus' name was one point in time. They heard the call from Jesus in the scriptures to believe in him and to be baptized and follow him. And the Spirit of God made that call appealing and attractive so that they want to do that in front of all of us. That's amazing. So when you see somebody going into the tank and then coming back up, celebrate obedience and the work of God in changing a heart so that people want to follow Jesus because that's what God's spirit is doing. We're gonna baptize five people this service. In just a few moments, I'm gonna pray and then the worship team's gonna come up here and we're gonna start to sing together and we're gonna ask you during during the baptism to primarily stay seated while we're singing, okay? If you've not been to a baptism service around here, we love to celebrate a great deal when someone comes up out of the water. 
So as we're singing, uh, Pastor Larry is going to come into the tank, and then he's, and some other people who are baptizing as well, and um, one at a time, we're going to have people come into the baptismal, and we're going to have their names on the screen so we can all know their names. And Pastor Larry is going to ask them two questions. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? And do you promise, by God's grace, by God's help, to follow him all the days of your life. And if someone says yes to those two questions, you'll see Pastor Larry say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or whoever's doing the baptism. He's gonna bring him down to the water and bring him back up. And then we get to throw a party. So what we do here is when someone comes out of the water, comes up out of the water, right when they come up, we just stand up and we just clap and we say woohoo and all kinds of things, okay? Seriously. And we do that for everybody. And then we sit down again. And then we do that for the next person. And then we sit down again. And we do that for the next person. And then when everybody's been baptized, we all stand up and we just start, keep praising along, okay? So that's what we're going to do. And the reason why we do that is we want to celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit in a human heart. And what we celebrate, we imitate, And if we're going to celebrate responding to the voice of God and the call of the scriptures to follow Jesus, that's a model for each one of us every day to respond that kind of way to Jesus and what he's asking us to do in the scriptures. Let me pray. And worship team, you guys can come on up. Father, thank you so much for your grace, your goodness, your kindness, your power. Thank you, God, that you have spoken and you delight to speak. You want to be known and you want us to know you because if we don't know you, there is a huge gap in our hearts. You made us to know you. God, I ask that you would give to all of us right here, right now, spirit, the wisdom, and the revelation of God. That we would rejoice over baptisms, we would be motivated, inspired to obey you, whatever you call us to do and whenever you call us to do it. God, I pray for each person that's getting baptized. Just thank you for their courage. Thank you for their willingness to be baptized with us. God, would you bless them? Would you grow them? Would you speak to them? Would you change them bit by bit, day by day, to look more and more and more and more like Jesus until one day they see you face to face? And may we all together help one another get to that place where we're home and we see you face to face. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.